From Islamic Finance News, the world's leading Islamic finance news provider, this is IFN Podcast. Today, one welcome to IFN Bangladesh on Air Forum 2022. Today is our first look at the Sharia compliant finance market in Bangladesh since April 2021, when we ran an engaging online event. Through the insights of an esteemed panel today, we take a fresh look at this exciting, vibrant and promising Islamic market. Indeed, a recent article published by Islamic Finance News led with the headline, Islamic Banking in Bangladesh Witnesses Robust Growth, Central Bank Says. What does this growth mean in practice? At the end of the first quarter 2022, total deposits in the Islamic banking sector recorded an increase of more than 418 billion Bangladeshi taka, or 11.71%, when compared with the same period in 2021. Meanwhile, total investments of the Sharia banking sector increased by 382 billion Bangladeshi taka, or just over 11% as compared with the same quarter in the previous year. While these numbers may be encouraging and the contributions of the Bangladeshi Islamic financial sector have been strong, the central bank believes more work still needs to be done to further develop the industry. For one, Islamic banks could potentially invest more in socially beneficial industries and explore new sectors such as microfinance, women financing, privatization and government agency related projects that are not currently being served by the conventional financial industry. So we have much to focus on today. There's a few ideas there. There's plenty more that we have in store and we shall start proceedings very shortly indeed. Before we do that, we wish to thank and acknowledge our partners. Our lead partner for the series is Bedford Row Capital. Our multilateral strategic partners are the subsidiaries of the Islamic Development Bank, the ICD, the ICIEC, and the ITFC. Our partners are DDCAP, Ideal Ratings, Moody's Investor Service, and also Standard Chartered Sadiq. Our consultancy partner is Red Money Consulting. I'm Andrew Tebbett, co-managing director of Red Money IFN, and I am pleased to be your host for today. Ladies and gentlemen, we begin today's session with a keynote address. I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Mizanur Rahman, Commissioner, Bangladesh Securities and Exchange Commission, BSEC. Dr. Mizanur is a Commissioner of Bangladesh Securities and Exchange Commission, the apex regulatory body of Bangladesh's capital market. He is also a member of Bangladesh Financial Reporting Council, FRC, an independent regulatory body of accounting, auditing, and actuarial professions in Bangladesh. Before that, Dr. Rahman worked as a professor of accountancy and public policy and provost of Kabi Jashimuddin Hall at the University of Dhaka. Dr. Rahman's professional engagements have included international consultancies with Asian Development Bank, the World Bank, and the United Nations. Dr. Mizanur Rahman, a very warm welcome. Thank you. I am honored to give the keynote address at IFN Bangladesh on air forum 2022. The topic could not be more appropriate. I will talk around the theme of sustainable development, climate risk, 
and financial stability, the opportunity for Bangladesh. Let me give you an outline of my address. Firstly, I will showcase Bangladesh macroeconomic progress and financial stability over the last 30 years, particularly since 2009. Secondly, I will highlight Bangladesh's rapid progress in achieving sustainable development goals. Finally, I will explain the nature of climate risk and extreme vulnerability of, for Bangladesh. If time permits, I will try to share with you evolving coping and adaptation mechanism to fight against climate risk. Bangladesh has been one of the fastest growing economies in the world until 2020. The economy at current US dollars grew more than 10 times since from $30.2 billion in 1991 to $359 billion in 2021. The country's real economy expanded 5.4 times in this period. The five-year average economic growth rate accelerated from 4.15% in 1991-1985 to 7.13% in 2016-2020 period. As population growth rate persistently declined, the per capita GDP growth rate accelerated even faster than economic growth rate. The economy underwent significant structural change over the last 30-year period. The share of industry, particularly that of ex export-oriented manufacturing in the overall economy increased by 18.4% in this time. An inquiry into the sources of growth acceleration across three decadal periods is further insightful. Industry accounted for Industry accounted for 62.6% of growth acceleration between 2001 and 2010 to 2010 and 2020. Of industry, it is manufacturing of textile and apparel products, which are export-oriented. It has been the source of growth acceleration over the last three decades. We identified two key drivers. One is the rise of export production, which followed dismantling of border barriers, devaluation of home currencies, and unification of multiple exchange rates, preferential access to developed markets, and a global trade financing mechanism, which unlocked potential exporters to access to liquidity in the early 1990s. The other is the surging flow of inward remittances. Bangladesh, in fact, received an aggregate capital flow of $200 billion in the form of inward remittances since 2010. Gross domestic savings and investments in percentage of GDP, therefore, observed a sustained rise over the three decade. Domestic savings accelerated from 13.4% of GDP in 1991-1995 to 25% in the last five years. On the other hand, gross domestic investments increased from 18% to 31% of GDP between these two periods, between these two uh, time periods. Note that a saving ratio gap of 5 to 6% persisted over time. As it is known, a saving investment gap is equal and equivalent to a persistent trade deficit. Bangladesh, however, faced no un unsustainable current account deficit. A persistent excess of investments were saving, and so trade deficits was financed by surging flow of inward remittance from non-resident Bangladeshis living abroad. The role of exports of manufactured goods and remittances has been overwhelming for Bangladesh monetary and financial development as well. The broad monetary aggregate as measured by M2 to GDP ratio increased from less than 20% in 1991 to 52% in 2021. 
financial development ensued from this outward orientation. Private sector credit growth fueled households and farms to create new demand for consumption investments. Given a de facto pay exchange rate regime, the charging flow of current account receipts also led to sustained accumulation of foreign exchange reserves. The volume of foreign exchange reserve increased from $1.2 billion in 1991 to $5.7 billion in 2008, and then surging to $46 billion in 2021. The period of 2009 to 2022 is a period of remarkable growth and development under the visionary leadership of Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina and her government. A broad monetary expansion will have inevitable consequence for price level change, interest rates, and exchange rates. In a developing country like Bangladesh, inflation is a politically sensitive macroeconomic barometer. A rising inflation worsens inequality, and it leads to erosion of price completeness of exports. In fact, CPI inflation rapidly decreased as Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina progressed into her second term in 2009. She also, she also had a vision of single-digit interest rate, which her critics ridiculed then. Bangladesh nevertheless made substantial progress to bring down interest rates. Both deposit and lending rates subsided since 2011 and now below 10%. Finally, exchange rate of any developing country is the wild horse. Neighboring South Asian countries, currencies, Turkish lira, Latin American currencies, including Argentine peso and Brazilian real, experienced massive devaluation in the last decade. But Taka, the currency of the, of the country, remained largely stable until 2021. Investors, particularly foreign investors, are, all, are very concerned about sovereign risk of developing countries. Bangladesh is no exception. However, Bangladesh is a bright star in the management of public finance. The country has low tax GDP ratio, mostly because of a plethora of tax incentives, so that firms make new investments and create employments. But the government expenditure has never exceeded reasonable limit, and budget deficits averaged within 3 to 4% of GDP over time. External indebtedness persistently declined from 42% of GDP in 1991 to less than 20% in 2021. 42% were 1991, and it is now 20% in 2021. Importantly, 81% of external indebtedness is of long-term and low-cost nature. Debt servicing is pretty low. Only 6.75% of exports are goods, services, and primary income, and 4.3% of current account uh, receipts. Global rating agencies, therefore, award high rating on debt sustainability for Bangladesh. An outward orientation and accelerating economic growth driven by rising export production and surging flow of inward remittances are the hallmark of macroeconomic and current account stability in Bangladesh over the last three decades. Over the past decade alone, Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina has not only delivered an extraordinary episode of economic growth and financial stability, her government has also produced broad-based gains in health, education, infant mortality, and life expectancy. Since 2009, Bangladesh has reduced economic vulnerabilities across many critical areas. Jeffrey Sachs and others in their Sustainable Development Report in 2021 documented that Bangladesh scored substantial progress in many areas of 120 indicators across 17 SDG goals. Nobel laureate Amartya Sen in a commentary in The Lancet in 2013. And since then, a series of scientific papers authored by international researchers in the same journal documented Bangladesh's remarkable social progress. The country met all three criteria 
of UN Committee for Development Policy to be a developing country in 2018 and was all set to graduate by 2024. Bangladesh, nevertheless, faces genuine climate risk due to various human activities, carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases are accumulated in the Earth's atmosphere, resulting in global warming. Scientific community has confirmed that global warming is causing sea level to rise via thermal expansion of ocean water and ice melting of the polar region. It is also responsible for shifting precipitation regimes and catastrophic weather events such as floods and cyclones followed by storm surges. Tropical cyclone induced storm surges are among the most deadly and costly catastrophes. A scientific literature provides evidence of on 53 storm surges along coastline of India, Bangladesh and Myanmar and Sri Lanka in the Bay of Bengal. Same, some of the catastrophic surges ranged from 12 meter to 14 meter high. The 13.7 meter high storm surge observed in 1876 at the Meghna estuary was the highest water level observed in this basin. The 1737 cyclone in India and the 1970, 1970 Vola cyclone generated 12 million and 9.1 million storm surges respectively, killing approximately 300,000 people in each case. From a broad perspective, the six most deadly tropical cyclones in the Bay of Bengal have each killed at least 140,000 people. It is reported that storm surges may have killed as many as 2.6 million people around the world during the past 200 years, or an average 13,000 people annually. On the other hand, Hurricane Katrina inflicted 149 billion in losses, making it the most costly natural disaster in the US history. Intergovernmental panel on climate change showed that more than 250 million people are vulnerable to inundations from storm surges every year. Tropical storm surges are, are though global phenomenon, its consequences are many and very uneven across countries. Bangladesh, for example, is the most densely populated country on this earth with a population density of 6,734 per square kilometer. Worse is that 46% of Bangladesh population resides within 10 meter elevation of average sea level as per Earth Institute of Columbia University findings. Storm surges have inflicted far reaching impacts beyond human fatality tolls. Storm surges have caused water and soil salinity along the coastline to rise and thus agricultural productivity decline. Loss in rice production due to de degraded soil and substitution of agricultural land for shrimp cultivation is substantial. Researchers showed that one village in Shatkira district experienced 69% loss in rice production due to increased salinity. The risk is perhaps best understood by the fact that one meter sea level rise would inundate more than 21% of Bangladesh monsoon rice land. Coastal flooding has also damaged landmass and settlement along the coast. A storm surges also threatened coastal aquaculture such as shrimp harvesting, which experience substantial losses after flooding. A one meter storm surge will likely inundate all coastal shrimp farms in Bangladesh. Tropical cyclone induced storm surges also damages the country's ecosystem. World Bank in 2000 reported that climate change predicted uh, a one meter sea level rise would destroy the whole Sundarban, which is the world's largest mangrove forest located at the south of the Tropic of Cancer in the southwest part of the country. Many of the world's poor are vulnerable to climate risk. This vulnerability is linked to factors such as settlement on marginal lands, high dependence on climate sensitive livelihoods, and limited access or 
access to or availability of resources to respond to shocks and addresses. In microeconomic perspective, natural disaster may disrupt supply chains, thereby causing not only financial losses, but also reduction in product quality, damage to production, productive capacity, and reputation losses. In other words, natural disaster will reduce profitability via decreases in net interest margin, non-interest income, increase in loan loss provisions. In macroeconomic context, several studies found a positive correlation between frequency of natural disasters and long-run economic growth. This indicates that disasters may provide opportunities for reconstructing the capital stock to make it more productive. Uh, researchers called it investment production destruction hypothesis. This implies that financial leverage of firms will increase shortly after the disasters. Um, a research paper, a research study showed that following natural disasters, GDP increases, capital accumulation accelerates, agricultural and construction output rises, and sometimes twin deficits increase, reserve accumulation accelerates. Disaster effects on net borrowing costs are also likely to be decreasing because of political pressure for cheaper credit. Business orientation after natural disaster may also undergo rapid change, and so the share of fee income and extent of non-deposit funding may increase. This implies that natural disasters may have different effects. Um, it may enhance operational efficiencies. It may increase operational operating cash flows, but its effect on free cash flows, meaning operating cash flow net of cash investments, um, it depends. It can be negative depending on the requirement of new investments. Furthermore, efficiency gains are likely to be gradual and over a long time. Asset quality and financial stability following disasters may also deteriorate. Disaster risk and their effects on farm performance are therefore likely to be heterogeneous across regions and their vulnerability to disaster risk. It is, however, an empirical question to assess heterogeneous effects of natural, natural disasters across households and farms uh, uh, and over time. To cope with this vulnerability, households and farms resort to adopting various coping mechanisms. Uh, households, and they have many adaptation mechanisms both ex-ante and exposed. Uh, microfinance is considered to be a promising financial innovation to cope with climate vulnerabilities. I find that my uh, allocated time is uh, almost uh, finished. Uh, I wish I could uh, share with you uh, some coping mechanisms and adaptation uh, mechanisms in Bangladesh, but I will wait for the next opportunity. I'd like to thank uh, IFN uh, Red Money uh, uh, Events Authority and uh, for inviting me to this IFN Bangladesh One Air Forum. I, uh, I, I, I take it as a great privilege and I extend my heartfelt thanks to the organizers. With this note, i like to end my keynote address. Thank you. Dr. Mizana, thank you very much indeed for your keynote address. It is a privilege and an honor to welcome you here today. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for listening. For more discussions on the Islamic finance industry, log on to www.islamicfinancenews.com. You can also listen to IFN Podcast on your favorite platforms, including iTunes and Spotify.